Konnichiwa, this is Erika. Hey everyone, this is Freen, and we're smashing the patriarchy one episode at a time. Listening to Super Smash Hose. Today we are going to talk about pink washing. Yeah, and Yay. before we get into it, um, I guess we just wanted to cover a few things. Um, yes. Had a lot of questions about upload schedules. Yeah, and at the moment we don't really have an upload schedule just because we're both in university and the semester has been a bit hectic. Um, I suppose we try to upload once a month for now right mm-hmm. but we yeah, obviously we want to upload more uh, frequently if we can yeah so question number one upload schedules we're trying to get on that um and the other thing i we wanted to quickly discuss before we get into the actual episode is um it's kind of like a call to action if anybody wants to participate um, there's this really cool art project called Watashiwa, um, and um, I'll read you guys the description, and then I'll let everybody know here on the podcast how they can get involved in the project. Um, so the project is by Enrica Lima. I'm really hoping I'm saying pronouncing her name right. And the project aims to question contemporary Japanese society on the representation of women in Japan. Um, specifically the rigidity towards the female transformation and it's something that she notes is common in every country so um, during the 1990s Japan saw the birth of the kawaii aesthetic a trend that has become a global movement on one hand the kawaii appearance made Japanese society feel freer to express itself externally on the other hand it slowly contributed to the defined and desirable aesthetic and behavior of Japanese girls Kurikura came out in 1995 as a kawaii phenomenon of social aggregation with many female targets. Over the years, it went from simply adding kawaii stickers and backgrounds to photos to the direct modification of the female body through really complex filters. Mm-hmm. Thanks to technological evolution, Kurikura now automatically alters the shape of both the body and the face, showing an image of an idealized, standardized aesthetic that refuses to represent the real individual characteristics. In this sense, we can say that Purikura anticipated the rise of the Instagram filters as we know them today. Um, And so in this project, the current generation of Japanese women is asked to use Purikura as a tool to express their opinion about society and their role within it. As a result, the aesthetic standardization thus coexists with the personal view of the subject portrayed and the unexpected contrast between them. Um, So... If you're interested in getting involved in the project, which it's going to be an exhibit that's going to be held in Tokyo, I think, in the spring. Yeah, it's from um, the exhibit itself will be held from January 7th to February 2nd. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. And so um, the deadline to apply is December 20th, which I know is very soon, but it's really easy if you want to participate. All you need to do is take a Purikura picture of yourself. Any pose is okay. Um, edit your purikura and during your editing process write down your thoughts about women in Japan today Um, a strong statement about your concerns for example um, maybe something about yourself or society in general 
and you know don't be afraid to express whatever you want and then customize your photo add the stickers as you would with any Purikara do whatever you like and then you can send your Purikara digital copy um, to watashiwa.project at gmail.com and we're going to put all of this information on our Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. But then, yeah, share the project with your friends, get people involved. And I don't know, I thought this was a really cool um, mm-hmm. concept. Yeah, I think there's a lot that you can talk about with Purikura. And if anyone doesn't know what Purikura is, it's like the the photo booth um, that Japan's really known for where they like like Farine just said um where they really um modify or they have these like crazy effects that change the shape of your face and like body and you can write or draw things on it yeah it's like it's like a non-virtual photo editor I mean I guess it has a virtual aspect but it's like a full-on photo booth yeah Um, there's like a green screen in the back and everything yeah yeah so yeah I think this project is really cool. I think if any of our listeners are in Tokyo can access a Purikura, like I don't really have access to a Purikura booth where I am, but if I did, mm-hmm. um, I would totally take a photo right now and send it. Um, yeah, so that was one yeah. thing we wanted to talk about before we get yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah, definitely but- check it out. And so today's topic is pinkwashing and so Farine can you briefly explain what pinkwashing is because I wasn't familiar with this word before yeah so um pinkwashing has like a specific history and it comes out of the Israel-Palestine conflict which we're not really going to be talking about that today but Mm -hmm. um just so we know where the term comes from basically pinkwashing um was like the term was coined because um Israel it claims to be an LGBTQ haven, essentially, um, and a country mm-hmm. that supports LGBTQ rights heavily. You can mm-hmm. see that in the Israeli military and in Israeli society, yeah. um, that it's quite an open and friendly country for LGBTQ members of society. Mm-hmm. And the idea of pinkwashing is that Israel claims to support these LGBTQ rights on the surface, um, in an effort to divert attention from its human rights abuses in Palestine. So what mm-hmm. it does is it paints, pinkwashing paints Arabs as homophobic um, and, you know, Palestinians as homophobic and anti-rights while painting Israel as civilized, the beacon of rights, the beacon of human rights, when there's actually this paradox between what they're saying and what they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, like, in a nutshell, where the term pinkwashing comes from. But more and more in society, what we're seeing is that corporations are pinkwashing their tactics. So right. um, I have an example um, that's really close to home for me. Um, I'm from Canada, and we have a lot of natural gas and oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and when our government was lobbying to get the Keystone XL pipeline built, one of the big arguments was that, um, you know, we have a lot of environmentalists who are against the idea of creating a pipeline to carry more oil and gas because it's mm-hmm. obviously for the environment. Yeah. But the argument that the Keystone XL pipeline tried to make was that, well, it's better to buy oil from an ethical country like Canada who doesn't have human rights abuses or treats gay people friendly 
versus buying oil from the conflict-ridden Middle East. Mm, yeah. So it's an interesting tactic, and it's been used a lot um, by companies. So similar words um, that you might have heard are cause marketing, mm-hmm. marketplace capitalism, and femvertising. Right. And they think, all... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people are probably familiar with that concept I feel like right yeah Mm. I think especially if we think about I noticed it the past year but like every June yeah it's ridiculous it's like every company has pink washed or you know cause marketed around pride yeah yeah I have really mixed I think we talked about this briefly earlier but I have really mixed feelings about it because I think um it's obviously, you know, it doesn't really, it's, it's really kind of disgusting to see companies that just have these like rainbow flags or um, feminist selling feminist t-shirts um, when they don't really uh, value, truly value, you know, um, LGBTQ rights or women's rights. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, like they are promoting I, I don't know, sometimes I think, like, it's probably better than them not doing anything, you know? So it's, I think, there's a lot that we can discuss about this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's a weird one, like, especially with, um, like, Pride, for example. Like, I'm not a person who is LGBTQ. Like, I'm a straight, cisgendered woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I don't want to, like, put words in the yeah. mouth of community like that's not what I'm trying to do but like I have heard from LGBTQ friends that like when it does come to pride and you know when all of the companies suddenly change their normal logos to a rainbow logo logo for the one month or they have a you know a cupcake store will have a a rainbow cupcake for the month as their special item that it can be conflicting because these companies have historically played such a big part in like disempowering LGBTQ people by not yeah. like allowing them to work or not recognizing their identities in the workplace. Mm-hmm. But then now that LGBTQ people have like, you know, purchasing power or like they're incorporated heavily into like our capitalist mainstream, mm-hmm. it's like worth ex- like pandering to them, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. Or like, the company Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's just used as a marketing tool sometimes really and to increase their their sale um yeah and obviously I think it's really important to promote I think um companies that are owned by LGBTQ plus or um POC you know women and whatnot so yeah I don't know it's it's a very that's a good point Erica because it is because what you said like it is important to support POC companies uh women-owned companies LGBTQ companies but when I think about pinkwashing or or cause marketing what I think about is usually these large companies yeah yeah for sure yeah um and it's interesting like 
I'm kind of jumping around a bit here, but like with femvertising, which is like the advertising of products in a way that is somewhat acceptable with like feminist slogans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like there's this idea that empowerment is something that can be bought and sold like right. through capitalism. Yeah. Have you seen, um, I just saw it recently. So like Venus Razors, yeah. um, they've started a new ad campaign, which is called My Skin, My Way. And it's mm-hmm. so weird because it's like attempting to use feminist language about, um, you know, agency and choice and like I can shave if I want right. or I don't yeah. have to shave. But then at the end of the day, the advertisement is still showing that the best decision to be beautiful is to shave. Yeah, that is really conflicting. Yeah, I guess it's still better than the traditional, like, you know, um, the commercials where, like, the woman's shaving their legs and, like, there's no hair on their body whatsoever, like, before them even shaving and, like, them not talking about having um, choice. But still, yeah, I don't know. I feel like what what else can you, can you do as a as a company that sells shaving products, though, you know? <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. How else are you going to market your product? Yeah. Have you heard of Kiremo? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like- Kiremo, it's like a, a laser. These ads with like, so if you don't know, Naomi Watanabe is like a Japanese comedian. Yeah, I um, think she's gay. And right? I don't know. I don't know, but I know she's often like used as like a, because she is like a bigger woman, yeah. is like used like oh like we're body inclusive blah right, blah yeah. blah 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 um and so there's all of these ads like I don't know if they're still there but like last year when I was in Tokyo everywhere on the subway there were these ads for like Kiremo yeah, yeah. with Naomi Watanabe that said a hundred percent girl yeah. and I was like what I think I like some feminine because I didn't realize it was selling laser I thought it was like some feminist marketing for like body inclusivity or something no it was an advert for laser hair removal yeah. yeah um I guess it's a bit um off topic but yeah just to give more context to this I guess like um getting your hair laser removed in Japan's pretty normal I think almost every girl gets it done I've done got it, gotten it done as well and it's like your full body well you, you can choose but and yeah I think especially what was really conflicting about that ad um, was that, yeah, they were kind of promoting, like, body inclusivity, sort of, with Naomi Watanabe being in the ad, who's, you know, quite um, big for Japanese standards. And, but it was odd because there are other, like, I think four or five other very, very slim models who were in the ad. And then... Yeah, Token. Yeah, but at the same yeah. time, like they were promoting, they were saying like, yeah, a hundred percent girl for an ad that was promoting, you know, um, hair removal. So right, so you could only be a hundred percent of a girl yeah. if all of your hair was. Yeah, you're only like a ninety percent girl if you're still hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. Like I was so confused when I saw that ad. I used to I used to see it on the tube and I had no idea what it was for. Right. And then one day I was like, I wanna know what this is. And I Googled it and yeah, I found out that it was a laser hair salon. Yeah. 
Actually, they have ads for men too. Like I know some men get it done as well, which is interesting. I think we can talk about this, about hair probably in more in depth in another episode too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just, yeah. yeah. Just the advertising of it, I think. Um, I wish I could put a photo up for our listeners to look at, but if you type in 100% girl, K-I-R-E-I-M-O. Yeah. Yeah. And then 100% girl, you'll see the advertising campaign I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, because the the shirts that they're wearing in it, uh, you know which one. You've yeah. seen the ad. I'm yeah, I've seen it. It's, it's everywhere. <laughs> it was it reminds me. Yeah. It reminds me of those shirts that you see that have, you know, they're all the rage right now in fashion. Um, boxy t-shirts with feminist slogans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like it really invokes that idea of feminism, which is kind of what, I don't know. It struck me as so weird. Mm-hmm. I'm also not saying that you can't be a feminist and shave your legs. Yeah, or get exactly. I'm not trying to make that assumption either. I'm just saying that it's like, like an uneasy fit in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the way they marketed it and everything's pink <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole campaign's pink and white, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's just funny. So another thing I was thinking about was, yeah, these like feminist slogan shirts or like feminist slogan apparel. Like I think I even bought you a necklace once that was said feminist on it. Yeah. But like it was from Forever 21, yeah. which like isn't a feminist shop. Mm. Like they exploit their workers in third world countries. Yeah. Um. You know, they don't pay a living wage, but they profit off of selling this idea of empowerment on clothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the interesting thing about these terms like pinkwashing, cause marketing, um, and like femvertising and marketplace feminism is they all like don't really have like fixed definitions, like kind of back to like, we know where pinkwashing started from, like that word comes out of the Israel-Palestine context. But, like, now all of these words are kind of used to mean a lot of different things um, in a lot of different articles and stuff. But they're all kind of around that idea of, like, doing something good on the surface. Yeah, but not actually supporting a cause, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like a... hmm. Hmm. I wonder, I was... yeah, um, I was trying to think of some examples in Japan, but I feel like because feminism itself and, um, or even like, yeah, feminism itself isn't s- by the mainstream um, kind of media in Japanese society, it's not really seen as something very positive, you know, people think of feminism as, um, yeah like matriarchy so it's not I feel like it doesn't really exist as much as it does in at least more western or um, other cultures I think you're definitely right with the feminism I I see it way less in Japan like I think the Kiremo ad is the one time that I saw like feminism being marketed for a product I yeah but I don't know if that was even feminism right it was more like female empowerment kind of yeah yeah like they were trying to get like the idea yeah you know, the ideas behind feminism. But I think in a way, 
that's kind of the good thing about Japan. And that sounds really twisted. I think it's a good thing because um, when you do see feminist or LGBTQ consumer goods in the market, they're more likely in Japan from a place that uh, is actually LGBTQ owned or actually women owned. Right. Yeah. So I, like, yeah. At first I was like, what? But yeah. I, I understand what you're trying to say. So like, I actually even have like a few examples of like, cause I, this was a question I had and I guess, you know, um, I'll ask you and then I'll give you some of my thoughts on it. But like, okay. Where is the line really? Like, so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, feeling unsettled and uncomfortable with the idea that companies pink wash. Like, I, I don't support, I, I understand the importance of visibility. Like, I know that feminism needs to be something and LGBTQ rights needs to be something that's like in the mainstream, that is something that everybody, um, like, sees and has access to. And by corporations, you know, creating a rainbow flag or making, feminist consumer goods they're helping mm-hmm. with that process of visibility but if it's all just for their bottom line and they don't actually you know genuinely care if their business practices are still anti-lgbtq or there's still no women in their boards i don't know it's like where at, at like what point do we say it's okay like would it be too far to say oh i'm going to boycott brands that sell feminist or like lgbtq rainbow products in june if they don't have lgbtq people on their boards right like is, yeah it is really difficult to say isn't it hmm i don't know where i feel about how i feel about that i was just kind of asking it to ask it like there, i'm yeah I'm trying to be like there's a right answer yeah i don't think there's like a right answer either um I think it's still really important to try to seek or like get to know um, kind of like smaller companies that are owned by marginalized people. But yeah, I guess at this, I don't know, this is so hard. But yeah, I think personally, like I wouldn't, I would try, I don't feel really good about buying like a t-shirt from H&M that says like feminist. Um but, like, I'm not going to judge or, you know, if a friend of mine is, like, wearing a T-shirt from H&M or wherever, um, a big, you know, corporation that isn't necessarily feminist. Um, and if she's wearing a T-shirt like that, like, I don't think I'm going to be like, hey, like, <laughs> that's not okay, you know. I was going to say, do you think empowerment is something that you can actually buy? That's, like, more of a philosophical question. Sorry. If it's too if it's too broad and odd, right. I'm sorry. No, I understand. Um, I think I don't think you can exactly maybe <laughs> hold on. Um well, can you just be an empowered purchaser? I do think that consumers do have some power in helping empower other individuals or groups by that who are marginalized by you know um, purchasing their products I do think that makes a difference but at the same time yeah I guess it depends on yeah who you're buying it from like I don't know like you know with the case of H&M it wouldn't be 
empowerment right but I don't know I think it's just just so complex because yeah I don't know I think to a certain to a slight extent I don't know what do you think I think I okay I think there's a lot of really amazing products that have come out of like really empowering products so like okay for example um I recently bought a reusable tampon applicator from a company yeah, called Dave. That's awesome. Um, and it's it's super cool. So like it's really good for the environment because um, you know, I don't need multiple applicators. It's one reusable applicator lasts a life like lifetime. Um and they send you organic like cotton tampons that you can fill it up with every month. Um and it's a really great alternative to tampons if you're a tampon wearer. Like, I know the cup is, like, the best option, but it, yeah. I didn't really vibe with yeah. it. Anyways, the point being that this company created a product that was genuinely empowering for for, for a woman, right? Like, mm-hmm. to have a tampon applicator is something that, like, empowers me that's reusable that doesn't have a bad impact on the environment. Mm-hmm. So in that way, like... I have been able to purchase something that like empowers me. Right. But again, that wasn't something from a big company. Like this corporation is, you know, run by a woman and her husband who started selling like sanitary products online. And then they moved into this and they made this product. Right. But like, I don't know if I would get that same sense of empowerment if I went and was using my regular always you know, Playtex tampons, like, mm-hmm. sure, they empower me to get out of my house and, like, be able to swim and still do stuff, but I didn't have that same, like, sense of empowerment buying from a big corporation. Right. That makes tampons. Yeah, I think like it makes definitely tampons. subjective. Um, uh, I think it really depends on what you value as well, right, as a consumer mm-hmm. and as a person. I think that's really, yeah, that's an interesting point to bring up as well. Like, consumer responsibility or, like, whether or not consumers have responsibility, I think is a really... We're kind of, like, getting <laughs> derailed here, but whatever. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I think, I think the question of, like, what responsibilities... Like, is it the consumer's responsibility to shop smart or is it... The, the corporations, yeah. I, yeah, I personally think it's it goes... It has to go both ways. But, you know, I think when it comes to individual, personal, just decision with purchasing products I think people often talk about it without talking about how there's so many different factors um about your personal life like how much you you know how privileged you are or how much money you have that goes into it so you can't just I feel like there's just in general there's so much like policing nowadays of each other of like you know how to be more like ethical and that's really important but at the same time it's like certain things are personal decisions and I don't think you can it's great to um, promote certain values I think it's really important but at the same time you can't it's not okay I think to kind of pressure other people into you know buying certain products yeah. No, I know what you mean. Like, you know, if you're if you're a mom and you just need diapers, you might your first thought might not be 
the most like ethically sourced, like organic decomposable diapers because they're probably going to cost you twice what, you know, sure about the environment, but like maybe you just can't afford anything else. Like it's not, I know what you mean. Like it can't all be on the consumers and it can't be that every choice is like something that you're policed for. I I get what you mean. Yeah. But yeah, like at the same time, yeah, it's obviously if you can, if, you know, if you can, um, if you're quite flexible with your decision, I think it's obviously better to purchase more ethically. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, I'm just trying to think about like how literate general, the general public is about these kinds of issues like is it so I mean we're you know we're students we're studying politics we we think about everything as political or moral right like that's we've been trained to do that for the past five years like um university has kind of like drilled it into our head that nothing we do is apolitical and therefore buying bread we're like where did this bread come from but so true I I wonder if this is like if it's a luxury like is the general public thinking about these questions or are we just in a position of luxury because we've been exposed Mm. to so much education to so much critical thinking and etc etc yeah I've thought about this I definitely think it's a privilege and it's a luxury um but I also do think it depends on where you are you know it's I think different to even if you don't have a lot of um, privilege, for example, in Japan versus being in America. I feel like mm-hmm. in America, even if you don't go to university, you know, like there's a lot more discussion in civil society about certain issues, social issues or social, you know, things that need to be addressed about ethics um, more so than there is for than a country in Japan, not with everything, obviously it's can't generalize but um so well I do really think it's a privilege that we think the way we do and I think we I think I personally feel like we have you know because we have the privilege and we've been able to receive this education thing the way we think I think we have kind of a responsibility to talk about issues like this and make an effort you know Mm -hmm. I you know that's a really good point about civil society um and going back to why I thought pinkwashing would be an interesting topic in the first Mm -hmm. place is that yeah exactly what you said I find Japanese civil society not on everything but especially about issues like this is less active you know I I feel like pinkwashing in the U.S. context is even more well understood like, I think it's a term that, especially if you ask people in our demographic, like age-wise, yeah. in the U.S., a majority of people will know where you're, what you're referencing. Right. And I feel That's like even if they don't know what exactly it means, I feel like they'll have, you know, they'll have a certain idea of what it could be like. That, that was the case with me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, right. So I think that there is this, there is more vibrant civil society. There's more questioning about, like, intentions of corporations and stuff in different civil society contexts yeah and I think that yeah in in Japan like this 
Well, I mean, for two reasons. Like you said, feminism just isn't big yet in Japan at all, and therefore it's not trendy, and therefore companies aren't, you know, exploiting it to sell you anything yet, because it's not... To be feminist is not yet desirable in Japan. Yeah. But also, like, even if companies are doing this, I is there less reaction from civil society? I feel like in the West, if you're not feminist on the surface as a company, you'll get mm-hmm. called out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you're not LGBT, like, exactly like the Israel case. Like, if you're not shown to be LGBTQ friendly or, like, women friendly or people of color friendly, civil society, the media will, they'll rip you to pieces because it's seen as what you should be. Yeah. Right. Whereas I don't know if feminism is an ideal right now in Japan. It, it doesn't feel like yeah. it is. I think it's like the opposite. Like companies yeah, it's, don't. <laughs> it's definitely not. Like I know um, I've seen some other feminist women I know on Twitter get when they, you know, claim that when they express that they're feminists and they're, they talk about their views they get completely bashed and like get crazy. I mean, it, and not to say this doesn't happen in more um, societies that are that ex, that are more ex, accepting of um, feminist values. But yeah, I feel like in Japan, it's just it's not a good thing. It's just seen as yeah, it's not seen as something good unless you're in these international bubbles or yeah, yeah. I feel like we've gone on some weird tangent. Yeah, I do um, think so too. And I don't even remember what we were. Yeah. I don't know if I've missed anything. Have you? Is there anything oh. else that you? Yes, there is something else. So, Queer Eye <laughs> Japan. <gasps> yes, oh my God. Oh, but did you read the article? Okay. Um, Being like, Queer Eye Japan is actually like exploiting Japanese culture. I didn't read the full article, but I've... I read it partly, too, and I felt really confused because I was like, I really liked it. I loved it so much. Yeah. The show, And then reading this article that was like, it's exploiting Japanese culture. And I was like, yeah. is this a person who's really sensitive or is this a genuine concern? Right. I think, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen Queer Eye or Queer Eye Japan, so Queer Eye is an American Netflix show where I think these, was it five um, gay or queer men? Um, uh, they have, they give a person like this makeover of not just their hair and their appearance, physical appearance, but they help, um, help with self-confidence and self-empowerment and things like that and help them say, uh, face certain issues they're dealing with in their lives too. I think it's a really empowering show and I personally love it. And so they had they did one season in Japan. Um, so yeah, just for some context. Yeah, it was only four episodes, which I was so sad about. It yeah. was amazing. It needed to be longer. Yeah. Um, but right, so the article you were talking about, I from oh, yeah. what I know, it was saying that it's fetishizing Japanese culture or something like that, or? Yeah, I read it so long ago. I think it was something like that. Yeah, it was saying that, like, Queer Eye is basically, like, exploiting and fetishizing Japanese culture. It was, like, it was a similar line of a cultural appropriation. Right. Like, 
applied to Queer Eye Japan, which I, I don't know, I was really conflicted about because everybody, and again, I am, like, the people I know from Japan are from, like, a very specific, privileged, international mindset. Like, clearly my friends in Japan are not pure Japanese, Japanese people. I wouldn't be able to communicate with them if they were. My friends are quite international. But everybody that I saw on my social media um, had nothing but positive things to say about Queer Eye Japan. Mm-hmm. So, and I and I watched it myself, and I had a really, I had positive things. Like I loved it. So then, when I read this article, I was like, "Oh, was I just too, was I part of the problem? Was I too ignorant? Was I fetishizing it, or is this article maybe not capturing what the majority of people are actually thinking?" Mm. yeah i don't know if this is the article but i'm looking at an article right now titled i think this is it my culture is not your toy a gay japanese man's perspective on queer eye japan was that yeah 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 Yeah, and it's written by this man um named uh steven wakabayashi and yeah i i haven't i feel like i don't i don't really have the place to say much because i haven't read the full article at this point but yeah, so he highlights things like um, episode one, privilege and cultural intense insensitivity as comedy and things like that. I mean, yeah, maybe check it out. It's published on whereyourvoicemag.com. So if for anyone who's interested. Yeah, I, it was, yeah, I skimmed it and I skimmed it ages ago when that article first came out. So I don't like completely remember, mm-hmm. but I do, I, I remember being on the fence about whether or not, I, I was curious as to what the majority of Japanese people thought about the show. If they thought it was, yeah. you know, exploitative or if they genuinely enjoyed it. Right. I think also with Netflix, it's still not really major or mainstream in Japan from what I know so I think people who use even Netflix I don't, I don't know I can't say I don't have like data on this but my my pers- <laughs> my perception from living here um in Tokyo I think a lot of people have Netflix um, <laughs> that's such a good way to anytime and Erica says she doesn't know about my perception from uh, living here don't take my word for it this is not facts <laughs> But um, yeah, because I don't know, right? There's no way for me to know. But I think like Hulu's, I think more popular or some other shows. So I feel like people who even use Netflix are usually in a more international, more cosmopolitan like kind of environment. Mm. Although that's not like 100%, you know, I just feel like that's like yeah. television television is still so popular in japan yeah that's the thing i see so many people who watch like actual the like, cable tv which yeah. is like my parents stopped paying for cable years ago in Canada. Like, oh. we don't even get tv channels in our house anymore right but in yeah, japan I... there's a right, lot of yeah. people tv i think yeah that's what i I think observe in my one here in the states as well is that like a lot of people just don't have cable TV anymore. But yeah, here I think um, yeah even my like where um, I live with my parents and we still have cable and I think it's 
like especially when it comes to getting news or you know there's a lot of these like comedy pop Mm. culture type um shows so i think it's still a way for people to connect with pop culture or even just news you know yeah Uh, random side note but why does japanese news shows have so much writing like (laughs) in the actual like on the tv screen there's all of this writing and i'm like if i wanted to read i would have read an article (laughs) on google i mean they still like read everything out but i guess there's so much writing on the screen and i'm like what is going on i thought you were just supposed to sit there and talk to me (laughs) yeah i don't know why but i do think it's it makes it easier to follow if there's if they say orally and if it's written to but anyways (laughs) oh i also wanted to um bring up one last thing that's related to pink washing but it's not pink washing so um people people who know me are gonna laugh but so because I used to work for Lush I know this but um so Lush <laughs> they they do this thing um I don't know if they still do this every year but um for people who don't know Lush is a very um they advocate a lot for LGBTQ plus people and they also hire a lot of lgbtq people and they have this soap that they sell every year i think in june not sure if they still sell it but it says it's a gold um really pretty soap that says gay is okay and they only sell it in countries where gay marriage is legal oh yeah but they they have like for example in japan obviously gay marriage isn't legal um right and they still display the soap in the stores so people will be like oh what is this um it's very eye-catching it's like super sparkly and everything um but you can't buy it and so you know that allows people to that allows the employees to you know bring up the topic of gay marriage and I think that's super cool so that's I guess like kind of an opposite of gay washing yeah. uh, sorry not gay washing oh, what am I saying pink washing um but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. It is interesting. With Lush, I think there's a lot of opportunity to be an empowered consumer. I I don't want to go on a tangent, but I saw a really cool video about how, um, wow, we're coming full circle here. We're going back to Palestine, guys. <laughs> I don't even know that much about Israel and Palestine, but we're going back to Palestine. Awesome. Um, good way to wrap up the episode. But basically, because of the Israel-Palestine, um, you know, conflict yeah. uh israel controls the water supply to palestine and uh palestinian farmers don't have access to water and so their crops specifically for like their olive oils mm-hmm. um are like dying because it's too expensive to access the water mm-hmm. because israel controls it. so a lot of farmers are just leaving their plants of olive oil and not like harvesting it and stuff um and so what Lush did is Lush made a commitment to only buy its oil from Palestinian farmers. Um, wow. And so they pay more for their olive oil, um, you know, because they could get it, Lush could buy it at a cheaper, you know, place. But because they're paying more for it, um, it's providing Palestinian farmers now with ability to access the water, even though it's still Israeli controlled, they can pay for it now. Yeah. So like, that's a good thing. And it's like, yeah like what you said like the opposite of pinkwashing it's like a very like specific ethical decision and like I'm not 
I'm not trying to argue about like Palestine Israel conflict like that's not what I'm here to do right now but I'm just saying that like corporations can make like political decisions that are like to do with sourcing or to do with hiring or even to do with like what they're selling like the soap that you said yeah that have good um effects is the word I'm looking Mm -hmm. for and on that note Mm -hmm. just before we end I wanted to share a few places um that I think are interesting to check out that they are you know not big corporations genuinely owned by um LGBTQ people POC people women etc um so the first one is a sanitary or menstrual goods product shop, and it's based in Tokyo or in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Own. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of this shop is to empower um, Japanese women to know about the sanitary products that exist beyond Japan. And so that, you know, that there are more options um, than what you normally see at a kombini. Like there are period panties and there are diva cups and the shop is trying to empower women to have more options than they normally would that's awesome um I already talked about my new favorite thing which is my reusable tampon applicator um Mm -hmm. from the company the dame so that's a uk-based company okay um another company is called love peace club and it's the first women-owned sex shop in tokyo yeah they're they seem like they're awesome I haven't been to the store but I think I've seen their Instagram yeah I haven't been either but I follow them on Instagram and I just wanted to like plug them because I thought their mission again is really great you know they want to empower I mean if you've been to Japan you know that sex shops um are there there are a lot there's a lot of them yeah. they're kind of especially everywhere. yeah in Tokyo I don't know if it's you know the same yeah I don't know if it's Japan, elsewhere, but like but... Tokyo yeah exactly but they're not always, they're not really, or, or sex, in, this is a whole topic in itself, but sex in Japan has never really been about women's pleasure. So what I really like about Love Peace Club is like they're reorienting that narrative and it's trying yeah. to be like your pleasure as a woman matters and it counts and you're empowered to have. Amazing. Yeah, and pleasure. they've been, think... yeah, they, they're, they've been, um, it, um, they were established in 1996, so that's—I mean, for Japan, I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it was the first, yeah, feminist sex toy shop in Japan. Yeah, first first sex toy shop owned by women, which I think is badass as fuck. Yeah, mind my language, sorry. And then the last <laughs> one is—I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Rain, um, mm-hmm. and it's a rings and underwear, um shop and it's also japan based um and it's it's supposed to empower women uh people of all body sizes all body shapes um to enjoy underwear and you know it's not your victoria's secret frilly lacy push-up extravagant cleavage kind of underwear it's underwear that's meant to be you know loving like for your body for everybody for comfort for life um and yeah, so those were four cool places that I don't think are pinkwashing, that I think are genuine, um, worthy to check out places. And like Erica said, Lush as well. Probably so many stores that we could talk about. We obviously don't know them all. We're not like 
expert. I think that's what's really cool about like Instagram social media is that you can it's once you f- you know follow certain like feminist or um um yeah like for example feminist um accounts or um individual yeah people on Insta like you can find all of these really cool smaller businesses and or designs things like that that you typically wouldn't be able to find information about um Mm -hmm. otherwise so that's super cool and so yeah if you first of all thank you for listening if you've still if you still are listening (laughs) this is a really long episode yeah (laughs) it was really fun I enjoyed it um but yeah follow us on instagram at super smash hose podcast because we share a lot of um stuff on our story and our posts as well about other um you know um businesses feminist sites other projects but also if you ever come across something that you think is cool or you're working on something yeah send it to Tell us. us we want to know about it we want to make sure everybody in the world knows about yes. it yes um yeah and back to what we said at the very beginning of the episode if you're interested in the watashiwa project um look out on our insta page we'll be plugging it and then make sure that you uh email a photo of your parikara to the email which will all be on our social media thank you guys all for listening Thank you so much. Arigatou gozaimasu.